0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We are replaying a great show that we did five years ago, celebrating Pete Seeger's 95th birthday, May 3rd, 2019. Pete would have been 100 years old. Enjoy the show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're in tune with the Wall of Power Radio Hour. I'm your host, Paul Metzah. We have a very special show tonight. A tribute to Pete Seeger celebrating his lifetimes and music with guests filmmaker Bill Egan, Minneapolis folk singer Charlie McGuire and our very special guest president of the Woody Guthrie Foundation Miss Nora Guthrie.
1: I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I But Joe You're ten years dead I never died Says he I never died Says he In Salt Lake Joe By God Says I In standing by my bed They framed you says joe but i ain't dead. says joe but i ain't dead. the copper bosses shot you joe they killed you joe says i takes more than guns to kill a man says joe i didn't die says
0: This week in Minnesota history segment, we're going to be highlighting something that's happening this week in Minnesota that will become historic it's a state of Minnesota proclamation for Pete Seeger. It goes like this. Whereas Pete Seeger spent his entire life and nearly the entire 20th century advocating for social, economic, and political change, equality among all people, and environmental justice, and whereas Pete Seeger was a renowned musician who helped to revolutionize folk music with well-known songs such as If I Had a Hammer, Turn, 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 and Where Have All the Flowers Gone, which have become embedded in the American music tradition. And whereas, Pete Seeger bravely served his country during World War II, courageously spoke out against McCarthyism and advocated for positive change throughout his life. And whereas, Pete Seeger was an artist with an enduring legacy of social activism and musical ability who inspired future generations of artists in the United States and around the world and whereas Pete Seeger passed away in his home state of New York at the age of 94 on January 14, 2014 leaving behind three children and numerous grandchildren and whereas we come together on Saturday, May third, 2014, the 95th anniversary of his birth to honor Pete Seeger, one of the most influential and inspiring musicians of the past century. Now, therefore, I, Mark Dayton, Governor of Minnesota, do hereby proclaim Saturday, May 3rd, 2014, as Pete Seeger Day.
2: Father said, the truth is a rabbit in a bramble patch. And all you can do is circle around it and point and say it's somewhere in there. If you can't put your hand on it and touch it, you can't put your hand on that furry, quivering body, all you can do is say it's somewhere in there. <laughs>
0: 2003, I went out to Carnegie Hall in New York City to see the tribute concert for Harold Leventhal. Harold was the manager of Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, and Arlo Guthrie, Judy Collins, among others. It was a really incredible event. The musical acts featured Theodore Bickle, Leon Bibb, The Weavers, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Arlo Guthrie. After the show, I went backstage and I ran into a couple of guys I knew from Minneapolis. Concert promoter Randy Levy and filmmaker Bill Eigen. Bill is joining me in the studio and we're going to talk about the films he made about that concert called Isn't That a Time and Pete Seeger, Power of Song. Bill, do you remember when... Pete came on stage that night at Carnegie Hall with his banjo held high to a standing ovation?
3: Absolutely. He, you know, he was he was the organizing factor in the Weavers. And, of course, he was in the Almanacs before that with Woody Guthrie. The Almanac Singers. Almanac Singers. And then post-World War II. Um, and actually... The little clip that we're going to play sort of is right from that era era and and describes, um, you'll get a real feel for. The listeners will get a little picture, I think, a perfect little picture of that moment in time. But Harold was, he was the guy who was supporting all of these people who were getting blacklisted. Right. And of course... Pete, uh, they brought him in front of the house on the American Activities Committee and um, there was a price to pay
4: to
5: you, well, and you... the weavers were at the top of the charts as
2: they say our music being played all over even covered by people the weavers were offered a weekly television show coast to coast sponsored by van camp's pork and beans however that very week a little group of blacklisters came out with a blast against us and van camp's beans did not sign the contract
5: and as we were then called evil commies our records were not no longer played because the disc jockeys were scared
0: I'm so glad you brought that because I was thinking a lot about that moment and the bravery that took to stand up to Senator Joe McCarthy in the
3: gang and uh Pete didn't back down. No, it's uh he was really quite clever and charming in front of the committee <laughs> much to everyone's horror really right. because he was quite brave and a real American. He was a vet himself. That's right. And uh, in this, um, a- after this Harold Leventhal film, um, we made another film on Pete, which is really just a biography of Pete. And we covered in depth because I, I didn't know that he was, um, he was a soldier in the war. And uh, we have an interesting clip of Johnny Cash in the 60s when Pete, pete was really being threatened uh... he was blacklisted already for seventeen years and johnny cash allowed himself to be filmed and said pete is the greatest american i know hmm. and it was a really an amazing supportive moment so spending what
0: turned out to be several years if not a, a little over a decade with pete in different projects what did you really
3: come to know about that man? Well, it, it's interesting that he was consistent. He, he, his philosophy wasn't just speak. He lived it to his core. And, you know, he was, of course, a smart guy. He was intellectual. Yeah, I, I thought in a kind of funny way he was a closet intellectual, mm-hmm. because, you know, otherwise he was an everyman. He walked the walk, and, uh, you know, what more can you say about somebody? You know, he was he was true to himself.
6: Watch that dial. We'll be right back. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie,
7: this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly
6: parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Catch new beginnings with Freddie Bell, Saturdays at 11 on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota
8: your calendars to attend the second annual Powderhorn Shark Tank small business competition for makers, hustlers and entrepreneurs Saturday May 18th at 10am as one of the Twin Cities most refreshing and authentic community centered small business competitions, this event will feature live pitches from 13 finalists who offer a wide range of products and services. Six winners will be chosen by a phenomenal panel of judges and will receive thousands of dollars in cash prizes. Held in the heart of South Minneapolis at the Powderhorn Rec Creation Center, located at 3400 South 15th Avenue. This is a family-friendly event you don't want to miss. The Powderhorn Park Neighborhood Association is the proud host of this event, which is made possible in part by the generous support of several lead sponsors, including U.S. Bank, the Seward Community Co-op, and the Midtown Global Market. Learn more at www.ppna.org. See you all on May 18th.
5: a wide selection of outdoor hearth products at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces. Whether you prefer wood or gas, Woodland Stoves has the fire to fit your home. Pizza aficionados know nothing matches masonry oven baking for capturing flavor and nutrition. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces can easily install one in your home or business. Enthusiasts use these ovens year-round for bread-making, wood-roasting, even grilling.
9: The mission and passion of Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces is to make the fire work for you. The way humans relate to fire is primordial. We have used fire to warm our bodies, cook our meals, and kindle our spirits. Our team has the know-how to do this in a clean, burning, and environmentally smart way. Visit our store and experience the diversity. We have over 35 working units on display at the corner of Riverside and East Franklin. See us online at woodlandstoves.com. Find the fire that fits and works for you.
5: Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services since 1977.
9: Hi, Gregory Rich, founder and chief at Habitation Furnishing and Design. And now I'd like to invite you to kill your Sunday evenings with me right here on AM 950 with Drink in the Style. It's a one hour long conversation about interior design, art, architecture, and pretty much anything else, visual and aesthetic. All while enjoying some booze handcrafted by our friends at Gianni's Steakhouse in downtown Wysetta. Can you think of a better way to spend Sunday evenings? Drink in the Style, Sundays, 5 p.m.
0: Musicians all over America, possibly all all over the world under the age of seventy <laughs> have probably been influenced to some degree by Pete Seeger. Certainly the Twin Cities folk community uh it represents that and there's nobody that represents the folk community that's been influenced by Pete Seeger more than my next guest, my friend Charlie McGuire.
10: How are you, Paul? Good to see you.
0: Thanks for coming, Charlie. Let's get right into it. When did you first uh, become aware of Pete Seeger?
10: Well, you know, prior to coming to see you, I dug out Pete's letters that he had sent me over the years. And the thing that sets Pete apart from so many other musicians, even of that generation, was his accessibility. I mean, the man must have been writing letters to people like me, you know. 40, 50 times a day. Right. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. I've seen some of those letters uh, show up here and there. Just little postcards. Yeah. There was a friend of mine in Minneapolis who went to a Pete Seeger event and then hosted a little party afterwards. And he showed me the postcard yeah. from Pete with the little banjo right. insignia. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you start corresponding with Pete? Oh, probably 68. Well, wow. You
10: know, and it was never about him. Whenever you wrote him, a, uh, you know, I think the first thing I asked him was uh, something about Woody Guthrie. And uh, he would never really tell you um, stuff about Woody, but he'd tell you where to look, huh. you know. And, I, you know, I think that he did that, you know, to save time because he had 40 other letters to write that right. thing. Right. So, so he would do that.
0: And, and 40 other musicians to tell him where he can find more about what he right and and it was never
10: about him paul it was always how are you doing how are your audiences keep up the good work you know it it was all that he wasn't growing his own reputation that kind of grew on his own he was growing
0: ours yeah what were those first lessons that you learned as a as a folk singer to take out in the world from Pete.
10: Well, the uh, the first thing is when somebody writes to you, write them back. Okay. Uh, the second thing is is treat your audiences with 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 respect and have fun on the stage. And uh, the third thing is is be who you are off the stage as you are on stage. And I think that was Pete.
0: And always. Have the audience sing along with you at some point? <laughs>
10: you, you can't lose if they're singing with you. I mean, I mean they can't leave if they're singing with you, Paul.
0: Well, I, although I don't think that's that's why uh, why Pete did it. No, well, who of knows? Not. But um, so when did you meet him in person for the first time?
10: Um, the first time though was many many years later um, when I was uh, invited by him to go to the Croton Point Festival. I think that was. Oh that had to be um late mid eight, late 80s or early 90s and uh, at that time there were a bunch of us in town we were doing trick roping Sean Blackburn who you right. knew for many pop years right pop I taught Pop how to rope, and Sean taught me how to rope, and now Pop is better than me, but that's another show. <laughs> and I said to Pete, he said, well, what else can you do besides play? I said, well, I can do these cowboy rope tricks. He says, all right, you're hired. Come on in. Because, you know, he loved to have that kind of stuff. Right. You know, he was the guy that was always having... Um, People who did uh track laying you know uh line uh line and track, you know those guys who did it by hand um, on the on the Capitol mall at the Smithsonian I mean he loved that kind of stuff
0: when was the first time you actually heard Pete perform in concert oh
10: uh, had to be on t v you know I think. Um, I remember seeing him on the Smothers Brothers when they did "Waste Deep" and "The Big Money." Um, I think I was talking to him
0: by then, and that was the, during the height of the Vietnam War. Right.
2: Yep, it was back in 1942. I was a member of a good platoon. We were on maneuvers in Louisiana one night by the light of the moon. The captain told us to ford a river. That's how it all begun. We were knee deep in the big muddy. The big fool says to push on.
10: Yeah, funny thing, you know that 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 film clip. You know, I know you've seen it. I mean, there there he is, out in California at uh, Burbank Studios. We're in that huge wool sweater, right? I don't know, right? I don't know what the heck that was all about. <laughs> <laughs> we are playing. If I had a hammer.
11: If I had a hammer
0: Of the Wall of Power Radio Hour with very special guest, Nora Guthrie.
9: Dad, don't you have a delusional,
10: my dad is radio host, Matt McNeil, opening line for this ad? I'll let you speak from your heart this time, son. Sure. I drive a Rudy Luther Toyota Sienna. It handles great. Even during nasty weather, and it carries all my stuff, I play baseball and the Sienna has room for half the team and
6: all our gear. The Sienna is great. Having another driver in the family is a stress reliever, but knowing he's driving himself, his sisters, and his friends in a reliable and safe Toyota Sienna is peace of mind. Thanks, Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley.
9: Thank you. Visit the
12: wine bar at Cafe Latte and enjoy a unique handcrafted pizza and glass of wine. The perfect place for an intimate night or an evening with friends. Choices range from spicy Italian sausage and sweet roasted peppers to the one-of-a-kind nacho chicken pizza layered with blue corn tortilla chips. The approachable wine list offers over 30 by the glass with special emphasis on wines from Washington State. End your night with one of Cafe Latte's melt-in-your-mouth desserts. 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul.
6: Mother day Earth Garden Hunters. Tonight chance support. showers mostly cloudy with a low around
10: 45. You might get on day chance showers, but the sunnier are close to 62 in. Monday partly sunny with on high of This week's so visit Mother Earth Garden Again, Again, that's Burger Mother Earth They offer garden 20 fresh never frozen varieties as well as delicious apps, soups, salads, dogs, paninis, shakes and desserts. Located at 242 West 7th
1: Street in St. Paul, and there's plenty of free parking. Find out more at burgermose.com.
4: Good
0: evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power with your This is your host, Paul Manson. We are replaying a great show that we did five years ago, celebrating Pete Seeger's 95th birthday, May 3rd, 2019. Pete would have been 100 years old. Enjoy the show. with the Wall of Power Radio Hour. I'm Paul Metzler. We were very lucky this week to have the chance to talk with my old friend, Nora Guthrie. We are going to jump into the beginning of the conversation. I just asked her about the Woody Guthrie Prize that was awarded posthumously to Pete Seeger. You know, Pete Seeger has been described as an American history lesson. And could you tell us a little bit about when Pete and Woody hooked up?
7: Yeah. I just—I mean, I didn't even answer your question before. So let me answer that, and then I'll talk about Pete. <laughs> the reason why the prize.
9: Yes, That the prize. was the whole
7: thing. The prize is given by this team at the Woody Guthrie Center, of which I'm on the team. And the idea is, again, I keep stressing the uh, being present of it all, and there has been no one more present in every sense of the word in the arts than Pete Seeger, And I mean that from what he eats to where he sleeps, how he travels, what he wears, what he sings, who he knows. This man, up until the day he died, was completely present in the world and every day saying, what can I do to help? And that's the gist of what the award is. So a commitment over the decades to being present every day and saying, what can I do to help? How Anyone who uses an art form that Woody worked in, it wasn't just in music, by the way. So we've included the visual arts as a category, writing as a category, poetry as a category, journalism. And all these ways that Woody participated in his daily life. From writing for The Daily Worker, newspaper columns, to doing artwork, to doing um, children's songs material as a songwriter, as an essayist, as a poet, etc. So all of those included in the definition of someone who uses their art primarily uh, as a force uh, for good in the world.
0: Well, Pete... Has descri- described himself as he says, "My entire life has been a contribution." Right. And if you look at the one thing that Pete had his entire life was consistency. He never wavered in his beliefs or what he stood for.
7: Yeah, but his consistency was so complex. That's the, that's the other thing. Like he existed on so many different levels in so many different ways simultaneously he's like a juggler of consistency you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's like i was looking at his uh a day book of his like just a you know schedule book of his the other day and side by side of where he's going it'll say uh okay smothers brothers show one day but that night uh Soup kitchen in, right. in Cleveland. You know, like one next to the next. Mm-hmm. And well, everything is included. And then the next day, uh, walk down to Battery Park picket line in the morning and then in the afternoon, Columbia Records recording and then in the evening, benefit for children. <laughs> right. So, it, like most of us, when we think of consistency, we tend to visualize a very narrow vision and that's okay. Like, I am this, and this is what I do. But Pete was all over the place consistent. Right. Every day he was at a picket line. Every day he was making a record. Every day he was doing a concert. Every day he was traveling somewhere. And that's what boggles my mind when I look, uh, you know, when I when you just look at his daily life. How was he able to keep such a wide vision?
0: And you of get the life? you get the feeling that all those things were equal, whether it was playing exactly. for Soup, Soup Kitchen or on the Smothers Brothers.
7: Exactly. That's what blows your mind. And you know, you're turning the page and it's like Johnny Cash show and then right <laughs> under that take Tina to the doctor, to the dentist <laughs> and then right under that is um, you know, write a song for um Paul Robeson <laughs> right, right. Like, like it's all equal and that um, like we, we tend to think and we tend to quote unquote climb the ladder in society of success which means if you're a great actor you don't have to do other things you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> or if you're a famous songwriter well you don't really have to do other things you know right. we kind of narrow our expectations from ourselves of what's uh, prioritizing things and exactly what you said, like they're all equal in Pete's daybook and it just blows my mind to see that. I could never, never be like that and he naturally was like that and that's the difference. Like you look up to him not as a, not really as an icon, but you look up and go, like a teacher, like, how can I do that? How do you do that? How can I do that? Because I can't. I don't know about you guys, but uh, it's really hard to have a 360-degree vision right. all the time. You know?
0: Well, and he had, for almost 70 years, just a wonderful partner, Toshi Seeger. Mm. yeah. What can you tell us about Toshi? I had the pleasure of meeting her once. She was just lovely, and you could tell Pete just absolutely adored her.
7: Pete absolutely listened to her.
0: Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> he had
7: no choice. He yeah. had to adore her, right? Absolutely, yeah. because all those entries in his daily in his book, Toshi made sure he did them.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, you know uh, that she was the strength. You know, I was going to say she was the hub. Of their family world, of their center, that allowed him, uh, you know, like if you sit on this stool that goes round and around and around, like at a soda fountain, mm-hmm. you know, those old stools. Sure. She was the uh, feet on the stools that allowed him to go round and around and around and around <laughs> <laughs> without falling over. You know, she she was the she had the roots in the in their whole family. And um, in many of his decisions, she was a brilliant woman. She wasn't just the hub of the home. She was absolutely a brilliant woman and introduced Pete to most of the ideas that we now associate with Pete. Even things like Mm -hmm. (laughs)
4: boycotts.
7: Toshi was much more political much earlier in a way than Pete was. He was a little bit of a latecomer, actually. Uh, to a lot of the political stuff that now we associate with him, and I remember, you know, Toshi would say, "Oh, I, I told him that. I gave him those leaflets. He didn't know anything about it." Just <laughs> 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 like a typical wife, you know. Right. So I, I just want to emphasize how brilliant she was, and she was a, a New York City gal, uh, very highly educated from, from very artistic family, and I think that he was. He was smitten with her for all of the same reasons. Like, if I could think of one couple in a way, almost like the way John Lennon was smitten with Yoko. Uh A similar kind of dynamic between them. You know, John was a little bit of a yokel. (laughs) He was a pretty cool yokel, but he was still a yokel. And it wasn't, you know, until she introduced him to... The avant-garde arts, the political arts, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it was a very similar dynamic, I think. I don't know if anyone's talked about that before. I just thought of it myself.
0: How did Woody and Pete meet?
7: They they met when Woody first came to New York uh, from the West. He came in February of 1940, and he, he got in the city in 1940, and... That was February, and then by April he was down in Washington doing the interviews with Alan Lomax for the Library of Congress.
0: And Pete was working. Alan, with Alan Lomax
7: had heard him in March in New York, and then a few weeks later said, "Come on down to Washington." So that's April. And Pete, I believe he was nineteen at the time, and he was interning at the Library of Congress, and that's where um, they really got to know each other better. And So, Woody was, you know, a good eight years or so older than, uh, six years older than Pete, something like that. And then after the Library of Congress, uh, Woody went back up to New York, where he was staying with a friend in a loft. And Pete followed him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to say like a lanky puppy.
4: Oh, funny. You
7: see one of those big lanky puppies? (laughs) Pete just kind of fell in love with, with Woody and was intrigued by him and intrigued by the fact that Pete could follow along. Woody would play all of his songs and Pete could very easily back him up and follow along. And Woody said, well, come on up and stay with me in New York. And that's kind of what happened. And if they right away they worked on a songbook together um, called Hard-Hitting Songs for Hard-Hit People. And that's where their real relationship was forged. So that's how they met. And then right after they finished working on the songbook, it was about June. And uh during those years, Woody was still hitchhiking and traveling around. Pete kind of got the bug in him that he might like to be a folk singer. Right. <laughs> like that, you know.
0: Let's hit the road, with- Jack.
7: Yeah, right. So, he didn't, Pete, Pete was a Harvard guy. He didn't really know how to hit the road. Right, right. So, Woody was hitting the road, and Pete tagged along. And they were out for a couple of weeks together, traveling around the country. And by the time they got back, Pete went and told his parents, who were also kind of smart, uh, Harvard-styled people, Uh, That he decided that he was going to leave Harvard and be a folk singer.
0: Oh, they were impressed with that, weren't they? Yeah,
7: they were awfully (laughs) impressed, yeah. And and he figured, he told his parents, he said, I'll never starve, because Woody showed him that you could always play music for some place to sleep and something to eat. And that's all you really needed in life. And that was the big beginning of Singer's
4: career. We shall overcome one day. We shall overcome one day. We
0: shall Lord one You're listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We're going to continue the conversation with Nora Guthrie in the next segment and find out what was her favorite Pete Seeger tune and then hear a very rare recording of Pete Seeger, John Wesley Harding, and myself, Paul Metza, at an impromptu backstage jam on the afternoon of the Woody Guthrie tribute concert in Cleveland, Ohio, September 29th, 1996.
9: Hi, it's Tom Hartman. You know, Continental Diamond is special for a lot of reasons. The owners are Jimmy and Helene Pessis, a husband and wife team who had a dream to open their own store more than 30 years ago. They've built a business that is the gold standard. The readers of Minnesota Bride Magazine have named Continental Diamond the best jeweler for the last seven years. Why? Amazing, friendly, no-pressure customer service, a selection of fine diamonds and design jewelry unlike anywhere else, and the fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies are pretty great, too. Continental Diamond in St. Louis Park and at ContinentalDiamond.com pump.
5: Food nourishes us. We need food to live. But how are we nourishing the food system? Well, actually, we're throwing a bunch of chemicals, and we're making the dirt dead, and then we're adding nitrates to the water, and we're causing dead zones in the ocean. Oh, and we're also causing climate change. We do that with every bite we eat. But we can create something different. We can switch to a regenerative system. And that's what we talk about every week on Food Freedom Radio. So tune to Food Freedom Radio Saturdays at 8 a.m. or anytime via podcast. Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
12: Visit the wine bar at Cafe Latte and enjoy a unique handcrafted pizza and glass of wine. The perfect place for an intimate night or an evening with friends. Choices range from spicy Italian sausage and sweet roasted peppers to the one-of-a-kind nacho chicken pizza layered with blue corn tortilla chips. The approachable wine list offers over 30 by the glass, with special emphasis on wines from Washington State. End your night with one of Cafe Latte's melt-in-your-mouth desserts. 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul.
9: This is Gregory Rich, founder of Habitation Furnishing and Design, and host of Drink in the Style, every Sunday at 5 p.m. You know, I'm often asked what kind of furniture Habitation offers. Now, I can go two ways with this. I can say something like, Habitation specializes in warm, modern, raw, industrial, and organic contemporary home furnishings. But what does that mean? It means that we have some really cool stuff, and that is the answer that usually goes over better. But cool doesn't mean crazy. And I'm proud to say that everything we offer at Habitation is functional and comfortable. The type of furniture that will allow you to express yourself but still works every day. So there it is. Habitation Furnishing and Design, 4317 Excelsior Boulevard in St. Louis Park. It's the Twin Cities' best furniture and design showroom.
0: Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour, where we are continuing our conversation with Nora Guthrie. After that, we will hear a rare recording of Pete Seeger, John Wesley Harding, and myself, Paul Metzah, backstage at Severance Hall in Cleveland, Ohio on September 29th, 1996, before the tribute to Woody Guthrie. Nora, what is the song that you will most remember Pete Seeger by?
7: Hobo's lullaby, I love, he always sang it about my dad. Mm. Um, It really expressed his love, man to man, his love for Woody was always expressed in Hobo's lullaby. And you could just feel the tears in Pete's heart every time he sang it. And the last time I saw Pete, just two days before he passed away, I was able to sing that song to him at his bedside and sing hobo's lullaby. Just close your eyes, man. And, you know, get on that that train.
0: Go to sleep, you weary hobo. Let tomorrow come and go. Tonight we're sleeping in a nice warm boxcar, safe from all the wind and snow.
7: Yeah, and I wanted to... You know, remind him, or not that he needed reminding, but I wanted to verbalize. I wanted to say out loud, It's for me, it's always been about you and my dad and Cisco and all those great guys and Lead Belly and Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee. They all started out as a bunch of kids together in their 20s in New York. You know, Woody was only 27 when he came to New York. This is the age of my son now, right. <laughs> so he seems like a baby to me. <laughs> you got to remember what it was like when you had your posse, you know, when right. these guys. That's what they were to each other. It was P's a posse. Woody and Cisco. They weren't developed, you know. They weren't mature. They weren't adults. They were a bunch of cool kids, you know. And they were side by side. They lived together. They wrote together. They sang together. They traveled together. And so when Pete passed away, Pete was kind of the last of the crowd. And I said, boy, man, are you going to get welcomed? <laughs> you got your whole posse up there.
0: Oh, so. singing Pete's Way into Heaven, for sure. Thank you so much, Nora. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Have a great day now. I'll
7: see you soon. Bye-bye.
2: The audience is singing well, I'll give them all the verses. Yeah. Because the crowd will really sing on this. It's a beautiful song. Gobo Reeves was literally unknown when he died. He died about ten years ago. He wrote this, it was a minor country hit in 1927, really. Woody would have been fifteen. But it was only Woody's favorite songs. And people thought Woody wrote it. Right. uh, Woody never claimed to write it, just well, I love Jimmy Rogers' song, Carl Family song. He didn't just sing it.
0: Yeah, I heard it on one of Arlo's records. I heard it on one of Arlo's
4: records.
2: Sind. wo sind sie geblieben. Sag mir, wo die Blumen sind. Das ist geschehen. Sag mir, wo die Blumen sind. Mädchen flüchten sie geschwind. Wann wird man je verstehen? Wann wird man je verstehen? I mean it's, it's beautiful. It's tremendous.
0: For listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This show was produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Brad Canaber. We'd like to thank our guests Bill Egan, Charlie McGuire, and Nora Guthrie. Also thanks to the Tria Restaurant and Larry Long. Follow us on wallofpowerradio.com. This is Paul Metza reminding you to be kind and make someone happy.